everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Here we are, guys. Uh, Somebody was telling me when we were in part one of our Leviticus series, she said, uh, man, I really love reading Leviticus because I get to the end. (laughs) And uh, no, that's not all she said. I read Leviticus and I get to the end and I love it because I realize just how important Jesus is. And we talked about last week how much of The sacrificial systems, of course, Jesus fulfills, so we don't participate in those anymore. But almost everything in the book of Leviticus, if not everything, has a kernel of truth that is relevant for our time today. And so one of the the projects of this series has been uh, a a consideration or an uncovering of how to read the Bible of how to go back into their time and place, understand their story, see what's going on back then, and so we can apply it to today. That's different than the way sometimes we are tempted to read the Bible, where we take what we know today and read it backwards into the text. Something like that sort of happened to me recently. So um, as many of you know, I have a convertible, and that is kind of a long story about a tree falling and insurance money. And it was just a great gift to me because I love driving outside. And uh, I knew we were going to have a, a kid or baby or maybe Isla, who's now two and a half, was even already born. So I go and I, I type in convertible car seat, think, wondering if there's a, a special kind of car seat that you can put into a convertible. And lo and behold, a bunch of convertible car seats showed up on Facebook Marketplace. So I'm like, yes. There are special car seats for convertibles. This is an example of reading my understanding into my Google Facebook Marketplace search. A convertible car seat is not made for convertible cars. It is made to convert a rear-facing car seat into a front-facing car seat. So I, I arrived to a very wrong conclusion based on my own wrong presupposition. So as we read Leviticus, we're doing our best to go back in time, understand what they understood before connecting it to our present day. And the whole book of Leviticus is actually designed to show the people of Israel who have just been led out of Egypt how to live a life with God at the center. So in other words, there's a lot about who God is and what it looks like to live life with God at the center. So like literally, they set up camp in the wilderness and the tribes were arranged around this center point, the tabernacle, right? This is where God dwelled. And at night, there was a pillar of fire that came up from that tent and at night, a pillar of cloud or during the daytime, a pillar of cloud. And so... What does it look like to live in the presence of God? What does the kingdom of God look like if we were to live it out? And you might be thinking, well, Amos, you skipped a lot of stuff in Leviticus because there's some stuff about stoning people and we don't do that anymore. And there's some weird things that you sort of just skipped over and pretended didn't exist. And how am I supposed to connect all of that 
to the present day? And that's a fair question. And I think there are several ways to answer that question, but let me tell you another story or give you another metaphor or example. So some of you guys in the room like soccer, what the rest of the world calls football. And if you were eight years old playing soccer, you might have a rule that says you only kick the ball forward. You know why they have that rule? Because if when you're eight years old, you kick the ball backwards, there's a decent chance you kick it backwards into your own goal. And so they make a rule. For the time in your life where kicking it backwards just doesn't make sense and bad things could happen. So too, I think with the book of Leviticus, it was written a really long time ago with people who thought very differently. And so a lot of this is delivered in a package that the people would have understood. So as it turns out, in soccer, there's actually at the higher levels a, a huge advantage to kick the ball backwards. And I am not as big a soccer fan as I like to think I am. But that gives you, is it ball spacing, basically? You kick the ball backwards because it puts you in an advantage place to move forward. And so the, the more nuanced commands or the new interpretations that sometimes or often come through the lens of Jesus later on, bring new understanding to what God is like and the character of God. Jesus being the, the very face of God. You want to know what God is like, you, you go and look at Jesus and get a clear picture. Whereas in Leviticus, it, it's a little harder always to connect and it's packaged in such a way that it came a long time ago. But the, the things we're going to look at today in Leviticus chapter 23, largely, which if you want to grab your Bibles, I hope you brought them, you can turn there. And if you didn't bring them, there are some Bibles in the back with the page numbers that'll go up on the screen. In Leviticus 23, we have, can you guess how many festivals? We've talked about this like two months ago. How many? Fe seven festivals that connect us back to the seven days of creation. Remember, a lot of the subtext here is about a new people, a new creation, a new way of living. These seven festivals are designed to do basically two things. The first is to show us or remind us what God is like. And the second is so that we remember <laughs> what God is like and what God has done. And remembering, you might think, is the easy part, but as you look through the rest of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, the prophets time and time again say, you have forgotten the Lord your God, and instead turned to idols. And so the forgetting leads the people to abandon their trust in God and put their trust in idols in other powerful military nations like the Egyptians at times, the Israelites would turn to Egypt for help, or in their own military might. They would put their trust in chariots in themselves instead of in God. And we do that too, right? Like when we forget God, we think that we're the ones who are responsible for our own life and well-being and prosperity or all the good things that happened to us. It was really because we worked hard not because of God's generosity. And so we can quickly turn all sorts of things into idols when we forget God. But the, the idea behind these festivals was that they would have certain times of year where they would reenact or remember what God had 
done for them and what he is like. And so Leviticus chapter 3, 23, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as official days for holy assembly. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of complete rest, an official day for holy assembly. It is the Lord's Sabbath day, and, I'm, and it must be observed wherever you live. In addition to the Sabbath day, these are the Lord's appointed festivals, the official days for holy assembly that are to be celebrated at their proper times each year. The Sabbath becomes a pretext for the festivals, even though it was just mentioned in Leviticus, was it 19, 18, 19, whatever we were, it was last week. I can't remember if it was 18 or 19. But uh, the reminder that you are not the center of the universe. I was asked in one of my mentoring calls this past week, what I had learned about God during the past year of COVID. That's maybe a question you might contemplate yourself. What have you learned about God in the last year and a half, specifically in the context of COVID? And my answer was, I am not him. And the things that I build are temporary, but the kingdom of God, like God's kingdom, is what will last. And, and for me to be faithful doesn't just mean that I keep doing the same things that I've always done, but to be faithful is that I continue to seek him. And so the idea of Sabbath or rest gets right to the heart of that reminder that you are not God. The world will not fall apart if you take a day to rest. The command to rest is a reminder to trust, to set down your work to realize that you are not the center of the universe. And so let's keep going. Verse 5, the Lord's Passover, this is number one, the Lord's Passover begins at sundown on the 14th day of the first month. On the next day, the 15th day of the month, you must begin celebrating the festival of unleavened bread. The festival to the Lord continues for seven days, and during that time, the bread you eat must be made without yeast. On the first day of the festival, all the people must stop their ordinary work and observe an official day for holy assembly. For seven days, you must present special gifts to the Lord. On the seventh day, the people uh, must again stop all their ordinary work to observe an official day for holy assembly. Okay, so two holidays, one right after the other. The beginning of Passover commences with the sacrifice of a lamb, and then the unleavened bread is you know, you're eating basically crackers instead of bread. And this points back to the story of the Israelites being led out of the land of Egypt. God sends the 10th plague against the people of Egypt and specifically Pharaoh and his household, but spares the life of the people of Israel after they sacrifice a lamb and put blood on the doorposts. Then, because they have to leave in such a hurry, they don't wait for the yeast to activate in the bread, and so they eat crackers and run. This festival points them back to the reality that God brings victory, God is a savior, and God is a rescuer. It is this holiday that Jesus brings, do you remember this? Jesus brings his disciples together to celebrate this Passover meal on the night that he is betrayed. And so that's Thursday night. 
crucified the next day, Good Friday. If you remember, it's not Easter yet, but it'll come around again next spring, okay? So let's keep reading. Remember that Jesus is using this holiday as the primary metaphor to insert meaning into his death. Next holiday, though, then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you enter the land I am giving you, this is verse 9, and you harvest its, harvest its first crops, bring the priest a bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grain harvest. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest will lift it up before the Lord so it may be accepted on your behalf. On that same day, you must sacrifice a one-year-old male lamb with no defects as a burnt offering to the Lord. With this, you must present a grain offering consisting of four quarts of choice flour moistened with olive oil. It will be a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You must also offer one quart of wine as a liquid offering. Do not eat any bread or roasted grain or fresh kernels on that day until you bring this offering to your God. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation, wherever you live. Okay, this is a third holiday, but it actually exists once again inside of Passover. Did you notice that? And it's a given as a command to the Israelites when you enter the land. Now remember, this is really important if you're a person living, following God in the nation of Israel at that time. It's being led out of Egypt. You're being rescued from something, but you're being also rescued to something. You're being given a home. You're being given a place, and you're being given uh, like a, a place to grow your fields and to harvest your crops. And so this festival is wrapped up into God's promise to give his people a home, a place to reside, a place to rest. But it's also connected to this festival of first fruits, the first harvest as you just begin to bring in the grain, Passover, and the life or death of Jesus. So think, let's do a little math. On the 14th, you have Passover, 15th unleavened bread, and then it said on the day after the Sabbath, the Sabbath day is which day? The seventh day. So the day after the Sabbath is which day? The first day of the new week. And in this case, if you're thinking about Jesus, death, crucifixion, betrayal, one, two, on the third day, as they are celebrating the festival of first fruits, you have Jesus come out of the tomb. Jump with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 20. On the day of the festival of first fruits, the first harvest, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Some of your translations say first fruits of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Jesus dies on Passover. The message is that God has victory over the great enemy, 
that is death. The worst thing that can happen, the greatest fear no longer has teeth, is no longer permanent. Jesus is resurrected from the dead and not only defeats death, but shows us a picture of what our future will be. He is the first fruit. And we are the harvest and the promise is that there is a resurrection coming, a physical resurrection, just as Jesus was. And so if let's jump back to Leviticus 23. These festivals will continue to connect to, give context to, give meaning to uh, the life of Jesus, but then also the early church. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you bring the bundle of grain to be lifted up as a special offering, count off seven full weeks. Keep counting until the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days later. Then present an offering of new grain to the Lord from wherever you bring two loaves of bread. From wherever you live, bring two loaves of bread to be lifted up before the Lord as a special offering. Now, this is festival one, two, three, four. We talked about this as we began our series and we... Uh, looked at the presence of God. Do you remember why? Because this is Pentecost. This is the day, 50 days after Jesus was resurrected, that the church was born. This was the day that the Spirit came. This was the day that showed uh, the world that God is gathering his people together like a great harvest. And this becomes the mission of the church made possible by the very Spirit of God coming to dwell with his people. If we jump ahead in Leviticus chapter 23, or it's chapter 23, verse 23, we get a new festival, the Festival of Trumpets. We mentioned this prior in the series. The Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. On the first day of the appointed month in early autumn, you are to observe a day of complete rest, It will be an official day for holy assembly, a day commemorated with loud blasts of a trumpet. You must do no ordinary work on that day. Instead, you are to present special gifts to the Lord. You guys remember the significance of this one? If you read all the way to the end, you find that when Jesus returns, there is a great trumpet blast and there is a new age for the former Ways have passed away and a new day has come and there will be no more mourning or crying or pain. And there is a holy city, a new Jerusalem that comes crashing down into earth. And so the ways of God, the reign of God, the kingdom of God comes in its fullness. And it is this festival that commemorated a new year that gave us this first hint of a new beginning, this first realization that God is a God of fresh starts. God is a God who makes things new. No matter what pain or horrible thing you've done, there is the hope and possibility of redemption. And when the final trumpet sounds, it's not just personal, it's universal. It's for the entire cosmos that the new age begins. Leviticus 23, verse 26, Then the Lord said to Moses, Be careful to celebrate the Day of Atonement. On the tenth day of that same month, nine days after the Festival of Trumpets, you must observe it as an official day for holy assembly, a day to deny yourselves and present special gifts to the Lord. Do not work during that entire day. 
Notice this is a theme. Do not work that entire day because it is the day of atonement when offerings of purification are made for you, making you right with the Lord. We spent a whole day on this festival, which is described earlier in the book of Leviticus. Our God is a God who forgives, who not only makes new, who not only rescues, who not only offers rest, that not only is generous and gives abundance, but that also forgives. We all need that. The festival of shelters. Jump down to verse 35. On the first day of the festival, you must proclaim an official day for holy assembly. When you do no ordinary work, for seven days you must present special gifts to the Lord. The eighth day is another holy day on which you must present your special gifts to the Lord. This will be a solemn occasion and no ordinary work must be done on that day. Jump all the way over to verse 42. Well, if you have this Bible, it's just like, chink. <laughs> For seven days, you must live outside in little shelters. All native-born Israelites must live in shelters. This will remind each new generation of Israelites that I made their ancestors live in shelters when I rescued them from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So remember, not only does God lead them out of uh, Egypt and eventually into the promised land, he also dwells with them in the wilderness. This is one of those really sharp metaphors for anybody who finds themselves disconnected in transition, feeling vulnerable. And that's just what was going on for the people of Israel during those 40 years. There were snakes. There was the risk that you would run out of food, but God provided. There was the risk that you would run out of water, but God provides water from a rock. And so this is a reminder that God will come to you when you are most vulnerable, when you find yourself in any wilderness, not just a literal desert, but any time when you are finding yourselves just in need of help, desperate for assistance, longing for meaning, in deep despair or depression, our God will come and he will meet you. And so it is in this context, during this festival, that if we jump ahead to John chapter 7, I should have warned you, we are all over the Bible today. John chapter 7, verse 37. This is a very famous passage, uh, but we're going to give it a little context as we have been. On John 7, verse 37, on the last day, the climax of the festival, which festival? John 7, verse 1, Jesus travel, oh, verse 2, but soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. That's what we're talking about. So they set up these little tents to remind themselves that they were once wandering in the wilderness, exposed and vulnerable. And so verse 37 again, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said living water, this is verse 39, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not entered into his glory. 
the metaphor, the symbolism there points back to a festival that remembers Israel wandering in the wilderness. And so with the idea of remembering that we are vulnerable and that God provides, Jesus stands up and says, anyone who is thirsty, come to me. This is a radical statement. The people who are celebrating the festival are thinking, anybody who is thirsty, come to Yahweh, the Lord, and he will, just as he did, or just he could, just as he did in the wilderness, provide water out of a rock. Jesus says, I am that provider. I am to be thought of as one and the same as the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And if you are thirsty, and if you find yourself in the wilderness, come to me. And the thing that will sustain you, the thing that will fill you, is not perhaps the thing that you think you need. You think you need more money. <laughs> you, think, you, think you, you think you need a vacation. What you really need, verse 39, is the Spirit who would be given to anyone who believed or put their trust in him. What is this God like? He is a rescuer. He is a sustainer. He meets the vulnerable. He cares for the oppressed, for those who find themselves in slavery. He is generous. He comes to the assistance of all who ask. And now, if let's go back to Leviticus, but now chapter 25, we have this really amazing, uh, not just, it's not something that happened every year, but that happened every seven years and then every, uh, every 50, Leviticus 25. It says that while Moses was on Mount Sinai, this is verse one, the Lord said to him, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you have entered the land I am giving you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath rest before the Lord every seventh year. For six years, you may plant your fields and prune your vineyards and harvest your crops. But during the seventh year, the land must have a Sabbath, uh, a whole year of complete rest. It is the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyards during that year. And don't store away the crops that grow on their own or gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. The land must have a year of complete rest. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own during its Sabbath. This applies to you, your male and female servants, your hired workers, and your temporary residents who live with you. Your livestock and the wild animals in your land will also be allowed to eat what the land produces. This isn't... Uh, something that we follow today, of course, in a literal sense, but the seed uh, doesn't... has a lot to say to us in our current context. When we value money and wealth and economic gain above almost everything else. So this is not a prescription for what your economy should look like or even necessarily what your bank, bank account should look like, but it's a reminder that the most important thing in life is not to squeeze every last dollar you can out of every resource that you can put your hands on. 
There's to be a respect for what the Lord provides as a created good thing that he cares about, whether it be a thing, whether it be the land itself, or whether it be a person. Verse 8, in addition, you must count off seven Sabbath years, seven sets of seven years, adding up to 49 years in all. Then on the day of atonement in the 50th year, blow the ram's horn loud and long throughout the land. Set this year apart as holy, a time to proclaim freedom throughout the land for all who live there. It will be a jubilee year for you when each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors and return to your own clan. This 50th year will be a jubilee for you. During that year, you must not plant your fields or store away any of the crops that grow on their own. And don't gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. It will be a jubilee year for you, and you must keep it holy. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own. In the year of jubilee, each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors. When you make an agreement with your neighbor to buy or sell a property, you must not take advantage of each other. When you buy land from your neighbor, the price you pay must be based on the number of years since the last jubilee. The seller must set the price by taking into account the number of years remaining until the next year of jubilee. The more years until the next jubilee, the higher the price. The fewer years, the lower the price. And after all, the person selling the land is actually selling you a certain number of harvests. Show your fear of God by not taking advantage of each other. I am the Lord your God. If you want to live securely in the land, follow my decrees and obey my regulations. Then the land will yield large crops and you will eat your fill and live securely in it. But you might ask, what will we eat during the seventh year since we are not allowed to plant or harvest? Be assured that I will send my blessing for you in the sixth year so the land will produce a crop large enough for three years. When you plant your fields in the eighth year, you will still be eating from the large crop of the sixth year. In fact, you will be still eating from that large crop when the new crop is harvested in the ninth year. The land, listen to this, verse 23, the land must never be sold on a permanent basis for the land belongs to me. You are only foreigners and tenants working for me. The land belongs to me. The source of your income, the source of your well-being, the source of your uh, standard of living comes from me. You are temporary. You are like my tenant farmers that I trust to steward and cultivate that land. But your time on the land is limited. It is my land. The year of Jubilee goes on to declare freedom for anybody who was enslaved or who sold themselves into slavery because of debt that they had accumulated or bad decisions that they had made. Uh, The year of Jubilee would have been, though it's not clear that it was ever actually celebrated by the people in the kingdom of Israel, would have been this grand celebration. It would have been what God intended. Now, again, it's not promoting uh, a specific economic system. It's not, it, it brings some prophetic correction toward a pure capitalism, toward a pure 
it's all about the money, but it's not socialism either, okay? This is a little bit reading back based on understanding because not everybody was given the same amount of land or the same uh, quality of land. If you look back in Exodus as the land is divvied up, not everybody gets the same, but everybody has enough and God takes a stand here to say, I am not going to allow for generational poverty because every 50 years, my plan would be that your debts are canceled and you go back to your home that was given to your ancestors. And it was from that land that you would be able to produce a living. I take a stand against generational slavery. And I think about how destructive slavery was to this country and to the hearts of people. Not just how many years ago? It wasn't that long. We're talking people in this room's great, great, great grandparents, right? We're slaves or slave owners. My great, great, great grandparent moved here from the Netherlands and bought a couple hundred acres in Iowa. And his choice has rippled out to have a lot to do with where I am today. But imagine if your family tree only goes back three generations and before that you have no idea. It gives some context to a lot of the conversations and pain that has been brought up in this past year. It, it's not only something that happened back then in the terms of slavery in our country. It's something that has had ripple effects into the present day. God knows that. And so by his design, there would be no such thing as generational enslavement or servitude. God is a God who proclaims freedom from slavery. God is a God who wants to bring people back even if it was their fault that they went into debt, bring people back to a place where they can support themselves. Because every 50 years, the year of Jubilee was designed to get the ancestral land back into ancestral hands. So nobody had way more than they needed and everybody had enough to provide. Again, I'm not talking, I have no idea what that means for our modern-day economy or government or democracy, and it is thorny, thorny ground if I were to wade into that. I don't have the answers, but I do see some principles here that God had in mind for providing for people so that it wouldn't become a generational whirlpool. This year of Jubilee, proclaiming a year of the Lord's favor, brings us finally to Luke chapter 4. As Jesus is just beginning his ministry, he goes to his hometown in Nazareth. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read the scriptures. 
The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time or the year of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. And so it is the year of the Jubilee that Jesus now is using as the context, as the metaphor for what his kingdom is all about. Freedom, good news, a life infused by the spirit of God, the presence of God, just as Leviticus was designed to bring you into the presence of God. Now we find that faith in Jesus not only lets you approach God's presence, but his presence gets poured into you just as it was on Jesus. He promises that that same spirit will rest on you as well. This is the good news. (laughs) This is the significance of blood shed for you, fire, the presence of God given to you, and gospel good news preached to you. And just as I began today, the people people would forget. The people would forget to remember these festivals. They would forget who God was. They would turn to idols. They would make money their God or military might their God or sex their God or power their God. And God says at the end of Leviticus, And when you forget me, there will be outside forces that will come and lead you into exile. That will destroy your hometowns and the land will basically lay fallow to make up for all those seventh years that you failed to remember to let the land lay at rest. He says, you will forget but I will remember. I will remember the promises I made to you and your ancestor Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I will remember my promises so that even though you forgot me, I will remember you and I will bring you back home. And that's good news. Because even when you forget, even if you forget, even if you've wandered off, even if you find yourself running from God, even if you find yourself in an exile, in a wilderness, God has not forgotten you and he wants to bring you back home into his presence so that he can be near to you, so that you can live with him. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, again, we ask you to come. And now as we worship, help us to remember how good you are. Let this be a time where we are filled up with your spirit, where the very turning towards your face gives us a renewed glimpse 
of the depth of your love toward us, toward your power to come into our life and provide. We offer this time as a time of worship, though, first and foremost, because we want to put you back at the center of our lives so that when we leave, we live a life as if you were at the center and love the way that you love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.